You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it is officially, absolutely, wonderfully, gloriously game day. And I have three very simple goals for the podcast today. Number one, talk about the game. Again, I've missed some time, so we're going to have to cram kind of a lot in here. But as quickly as I can, sort of breaking down Packers-Falcons. Number two, I mentioned that I want to... I think this is Packernet After Dark. I want to be able to watch A.J. Dillon and give my thoughts. We're doing that today, and I'm, and I'm going to do it live. That is to say, I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to tell you. He had 13 attempts, so we're going to talk about 13 plays. And then number four, I want to go through my picks for the week. And uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to add one more piece to the agenda. There's, there's two rules that are in the, uh, the spotlight. I've already talked about both of them. But since they're popular, I'm going to go ahead and talk about them again. Number one, which is being apparently called the Tush Push. I'm absolutely not calling it that because that's stupid. The QB Sneak, in which a tight end, I guess, pushes you. There's a lot of talk about should that play be banned. I don't understand why people think that play should be banned. I'm, 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 I'm seeing it on social media. And the comments that I see... I mean, here, here's the bottom line. You have to make the case for me that it should be banned. Right? Because it's not right now. And I can't seem to think of a reason. So, okay, let's go through the comments and see why. Should be banned. It's not real football. Well, that's obviously stupid on its face. It is football. Uh, I don't like that you can push the ball carrier forward. You shouldn't be allowed forward progress and also be able to push the carrier forward. That might be a good point, and I'm just not understanding it. I don't know. But I don't know what that means. I mean, there are already, for example, run plays where, let's say, a running back picks up five yards and then the offensive line comes in and starts pushing and pushing and pushing. Forward progress is stopped when the player is stopped, and then they blow the whistle. But they wait for the player to be stopped. So I have no idea what pushing and forward progress have to do with each other. Allen, on the flip side, says, because one of the biggest arguments is you can't stop it. That's like saying in the 60s they should have banned the Green Bay sweep because the Packers ran it so successfully. He's absolutely right. That is a stupid reason to try to get rid of something because they're good at it. I saw somebody else, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the comments here because this was yesterday. Somebody else said that, um, well, it's not unfair because everybody can do it. And then the commenter said, well, not everybody squats 600 pounds, essentially saying it should be banned because the Eagles are, have a guy that's really good at it. First of all, I don't think that that's necessarily true. In terms of, I think the success seems to be league-wide. The Packers have are, are, as far as I know, undefeated with it right now since they started using it this year. But could you imagine if they started banning things because guys like Megatron were too good at it? Like, look, we got to stop this because that Megatron guy is just unstoppable. He's, he's what, six foot five, 250 pounds, and he runs a four three five or what, whatever ridiculous statistics he had. I mean, give me a break. That's the benefit of having a guy like that. Good for the... I mean, he got drafted in the second round. And now you're telling me it's cheating having a guy like Jalen Hurts because he squats 600 pounds? I mean, give me a freaking break. That's the, supposed to be the point. 
They're like, well, there should be parity in the league. It's like, no, you don't want parity. You want everything to be exactly equal. That's not fair because your players are better. Well, duh, that's the whole point of the NFL, you moron. Get better players, win more games. Somebody else says, it's football, but it's dangerous football. If they crowded the A-B gaps and box that hard to stop it, someone is going to get hurt. Yeah, that's not a very good... That's not a very good reason for me. I'm so sick of banning everything that maybe somebody can get hurt. Which, by the way, I'm calling bullcrap on that. Why? Because somebody's going to get smushed? That's dumb. People are going to get hurt when somebody's running 20 miles an hour into somebody else running 20 miles an hour and they collide with their foreheads. And then there's a great exchange here. Somebody says, I mean, if it works so well for them, why isn't everyone else trying it? It's not like they have exclusive rights to the play. I don't believe any play is unstoppable. Figure it out, defensive coordinators, which is exactly right. And then there's this comment from somebody named Nathan. A lot of other teams already use it, and it's not unstoppable. The Vikings tried it against the Bills last year and failed. The very next play, the Bills tried to do it to get out of the goal line when Allen fumbled the snap and he got pushed past so he couldn't recover. Raiding the Kingdom says, you're good at this play. Let's ban it. That makes sense. Again, there, there might be... You know, once in a while, there is an answer to a question, and people who have no idea what they're talking about chime in just because they feel like they want to be experts at something. So maybe hidden way down here somewhere is an actual reason that makes sense. Maybe there is some kind of a rule about, about pushing, or maybe we need to investigate more into it. Maybe we should be running wide receiver screens, and we need uh, Luke Musgrave catching it and Tucker Kraft pushing them. And they just run this little train. <laughs> we got a couple blockers, and then there's a tight end train. Maybe that's what they're worried about, is, is starting some kind of precedent where we just have these rugby scrums all over the field. I, I don't know, but I just I have not heard a good reason. God King Butters says, The QB sneak went 0-4 in Week 1 by other NFL teams. It's not unstoppable because the Eagles are so good at it. Yeah, and... and, and uh, Tom Brady, by the way, was unstoppable. It wasn't this, he wasn't pushed, but they were still completely unstoppable. And not in a literal sense, but in a basically literal sense. But this this answer here seems to be the answer of people that have an answer. Uh, Cairo Ato says, There is no good answer, in my opinion. It's about as close an NFL team can get to a guarantee play, which in and of itself is one thing entirely. If teams simply cannot stop it, then there is no spirited competition. First of all, I think that's dumb. Um, there is still spirited competition because there's four quarters. And there's no question a third in inches is easier to complete regardless of the play, or, or let's call it a second in inches, or first in inches. There's a penalty and it ends up on the goal line. First and goal from the one inch mark. Nope, 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 nope. We can't do that. That's too easy. That's not spirited competition. That's stupid. Even if there's a 98% success rate... Oh well, seems like a not super optimal situation to put yourself in then. Make sure you don't get a pass interference penalty in the end zone. He says, if it's a guarantee for 32 out of 32, then I personally don't see an issue for it, but the gray area comes in when it becomes exclusivity. First of all, it's not exclusivity. Nobody runs it 100%. Nobody succeeds 100% of the time. Nobody, including the Eagles. We've established this. Secondly, even if it was, it comes down to better players. It comes down to better execution. And if we start setting a precedent for teams that have a, do a better job executing plays, have more success, and that shouldn't be allowed, we're getting into some garbage communist utopia here where we don't like uneven outcomes. And I'm sorry, you go play that stuff out somewhere else, but in sports, that's not how things work. We don't want everything to be equal. That's no fun. The entire point of this 
is to build a team that has better players so that you have more success than everybody else and get crowned champion of the league in a little thing called the Super Bowl. Do you think the Chiefs have the same success rate as the Jets? They do not. He says, if it's an advantage, only select teams or even one team has over everyone else, then a discussion needs to be had. Bull crap. That's the entire point of this sport, is to have an advantage over everybody else and to be better than everybody else and be able to do things that everybody else cannot do. Now, it's... It, understand, I'm not talking about unequal... <laughs> there's so many parallels here to politics. I'm not talking about an unequal playing field, literally. I'm talking about unequal outcomes. Everybody else has the same opportunity to run the same plays and have the same success. But there are different results. Good. That's how it's supposed to be. While only some people are getting ahead and some people are not. Good. That's how it's supposed to be. He says the Eagles pretty much get a guaranteed touchdown on first and goal so long as they move forward. No, not on first and goal. It can be first and goal from the 15. That has nothing to do with anything. Guaranteed touchdown on first and inches from, from, the, from the goal line? Or first and goal from the one-inch mark? Yeah, that's pretty much guaranteed. It's pretty much guaranteed for most teams. But yeah, the, the, the Eagles are probably going to be better at that than everybody else. So what? First and 10 from the 25, the Chiefs are more likely to get a first down than the Colts. Do we need to intervene? Or can we be big boys and big girls and acknowledge that life isn't fair? And not everybody's going to get a trophy this year. So, again, if, if somebody has a different reason other than I don't like uneven outcomes, let me know. Because I'm still open to the idea of banning this. But there has to be some kind of a reason. And it's not fair is a really stupid and really pathetic reason. Next rule. Fumbling out of the end zone gives the other team the ball. Here's my question. Why? I guess my issue with it is it seems entirely arbitrary. And the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Now maybe it's, it's, maybe it is the most rational thing. The problem is, again, the arguments I see being made for it isn't, it's the most rational thing we can do. It's, well, you fumbled, don't be such an idiot. Okay, that's not an argument. And again, we got to talk about precedent here. That argument sets a precedent for basically any time a team fumbles, they should turn the ball over. If you fumble the ball out of bounds, it should go to the other team. Why? Well, maybe we, we should, maybe you should be punished for, for doing the wrong things. Maybe learn to hold on to the ball. Maybe we should turn the ball over every time somebody drops a pass. Because maybe don't suck at your job, bro. I saw one guy say, well, what, should we reward somebody for fumbling? Okay, that's a terrible argument. Do you know why? Because if Justin Jefferson had fumbled that ball about five inches backwards, they would have gotten the ball at the one-inch mark. So, Essentially, you are saying that the ball should be turned over if you fumble at the one-inch mark, because otherwise, we are rewarding him for fumbling, right? So I'm asking you, is that the precedent you want to set? That is, you shouldn't be not only allowed to benefit, but you should be punished for making a mistake. Again, my, my only issue with this is it seems to be semi-arbitrary. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are some hard and fast rules about the, the ball being fumbled out of the end zone being a turnover. I mean, I know if I fumble into my own end zone, it's a safety, you know, out of the back of my own end zone or something. But that's, that's its own rule, right? That's an established rule. I guess you could say what essentially happened was a touchback for the other team. But that seems weird because that's a different play. We're talking a special teams play. We're applying special teams rules, meaning you, you, you can do that, but it's not like 
let's go to the letter of the law here. Oh, according to the letter of the law, this is, this is, we have to give the ball to the other team. No, you're choosing to do that. Again, I'm assuming you are choosing to do that because you feel like it's the best thing to do. Let's just call it a special teams play where it gets fumbled out of the end zone. And so the ball is given to the opposite team at the 20 yard line or whatever. I don't see why it would have to apply. So again, the, the, the question for me is just what is the right thing to do here? And I, I hate with a passion the argument of, well, you just shouldn't have fumbled. It's like, you know, you're, you're, you're driving 10 miles over the speed limit and a police officer shows up and just blasts you in the face, just pulls out his service pistol and just starts shooting you. Well, it shouldn't have been speeding. Maybe if you learned to follow the rules, you wouldn't have got shot in the face seven times. Like, okay, first of all, that's freaking crazy. I don't think we're actually speaking rationally here. We're just being legalists to the extreme. And that's, again, that's something that doesn't apply in other areas of anything else. Well, then you shouldn't have just, well, okay, then fine. Every time somebody fumbles, let's just give seven points to the other team. Or would that be stupid? Because it's following that same precedent of, well, then you shouldn't just, you just shouldn't make mistakes. I can apply any rule, no matter how harsh, no matter how stupid, as long as I can prove that you made a mistake. Come on, that's not, that's not a reasonable thing. Now, you could give them the ball right there on the one-inch mark and just say, no, it just defers back. If you think that that's unfair in favor of the team, I've said, why don't we push them back to the 20-yard line? I mean, I'm sure offenses would prefer that. I mean, maybe we're not looking for a solution. It's like, hey, we got a rule in the books. We're just going to stick with it. All right, I guess. I I think you're applying, again, a special teams rule to something that doesn't apply to special teams, but okay. But if we are looking for a solution, that would be my favorite. And, and a loss of down. So it was second and 10. Justin Jefferson fumbled the ball out of bounds. Actually, in that case, it would be first and 10 from the 20. Because they were actually more than 10 yards behind that. But let's say, I mean, it could be third and five. And you fumble out of the end zone. And it would be fourth and 20 from the 20. So I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for necessarily helping the team. In most cases, I think it would be a punishment. I just think it's massively extreme. Right, so in that case, you're 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 settling for a field goal or the 25 yard line if you want to push it out there, whatever. You're settling for a field goal in that situation because you fumbled out of the end zone and you lost a bunch of yards. Again, that is my favorite solution to this. And again, you could say, well, then then if you launch it from the 10 yard line and he fumbles out of the bounds and you get it all the way at the 25, right? And if he had fumbled out of bounds at the one yard line, they'd get it at the one yard line. It's 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 a it's a couple inches that made a 25 yard difference. It just seems too extreme to me to give it to the other team. I mean, it, it's, it's almost every single time. Here's one of my biggest issues. Almost every single time, it's really not even a terrible play for the... Usually, because they basically scored a touchdown. I mean, they're, they're centimeters away from scoring a touchdown. It is an offensive team that has been driving all the way down the field and is about to score. And then the defense just gets a, some kind of a fluke play. And then, look, I guess that's turnovers no matter what. It ends up being some kind of a fluke. That's to some degree what turnovers are. I don't know. I, I, whatever. I don't like it. I, I think it's, I don't think the punishment fits the crime. I think it's arbitrary that we draw a line where if it fumbles on this side of the little orange thing, then you get it at the one inch mark. If it fumbles, if it bounces to the other side of the orange thing, then it's a touchback for the other team. That just seems crazy to me. So I don't like it. I would prefer to see something else. I was beyond happy to see it happen to the Vikings. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, still, I just think there are better options. All right. Um, Boy, oh boy. Hope we have enough time for all this. Let's, uh, let's take a first break and then we'll, then we'll, uh, dive into the AJ Dillon thing. I'll try to be quick with it. 
OldSouthernBBQ.com. Please remember to check out OldSouthernBBQ.com. Use promo code PACKERNET15. That's capital P, capital N, PACKERNET15 for 15% off your order. They have award-winning rubs and spices. I think I got to get down on a uh, pork loin or pork chops today. I don't know. I got to pick one. I got to do one. But I'm excited. I can't wait to use that barbecue rub. I have not used it before. I have only used uh, the chicken rub, which is awesome, and the beef butter rub. Which again, I don't usually use beef rubs, but that one is awesome. That's the one that converted my wife. Not 100%, but I mean, she ate, had, had a second helping of meat, which she never does. So very, very pumped. Please give it a shot. Let me know when you do. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, let's get started again. We got to go kind of quick here and uh, we'll do a follow-up. Again, this is not AJ Dillon's best game, but I, I, I want to Take a look at just kind of see, because I watched him a lot last year, if anything looks a little bit different, things look worse, things look better. Uh, as I mentioned on Packernet After Dark yesterday, I don't want to use this as an indictment on A.J. Dillon. I'm talking about this past game against the Bears because the guy had an 88 rushing grade last year. To pretend that his 57 rushing grade in this game is indicative of why we don't like A.J. Dillon would be dishonest. With that said, 13 carries. First carry, A.J. Dillon left end for minus three yards, tackled by Tremaine Edmonds. So right out of the gate, my initial thought is this is absolutely not A.J. Dillon's fault. Tremaine Edmonds comes screaming in from the linebacker spot and brings him down. Now, you could maybe argue if it was a faster running back, he outruns him so that this isn't an issue. But here is my honest best takeaway. And I mentioned that the Packers defense didn't get credit. They constantly talked about bad scheme, bad scheme for the Bears, and the Packers defense sometimes just made plays. I think if anybody watches this, 90% of the people are going to blame Josh Myers for this. And I think maybe that's fair, but I also think that this was not designed for Josh Myers to block him. I don't think anybody was designed to block Tremaine Edmonds because he wasn't expected to be in the backfield that fast. Because if you look at it, there are essentially three blockers out in front for A.J. Dillon. Dontavian Wicks is going to come in and crash on number six. So we've got number six, number four, who's Eddie Jackson, and number 33, who I think is uh, the rookie corner. I'm not sure. doesn't matter. We'll stick with the numbers. So there's two guys to the outside, including a corner and a safety, and then there's one linebacker. There's essentially three linebackers. There's one furthest to the side that A.J. Dillon is going to run to. Number 13, Dontavian Wicks is going to take out the, the linebacker closest to that side. Then we have two lead blockers. Now, it's entirely possible Josh Myers was supposed to take out the inside linebacker, but I don't think so. I don't think that really makes any sense. Why wouldn't Wicks crash down on the guy that's furthest to the inside? If anything, maybe he should have taken out Tremaine Edmonds and left number six to be blocked by one of these two lead blockers. But I think these two guys are meant to get to the outside, so it's a hat on a hat. There's three guys on the outside, three blockers. If everybody does their job, everybody wins. The only thing is they're not accounting for Tremaine Edmonds. And again, it's, I tend to think it's because he, he, he wasn't expected to get there that fast. He takes off like a bullet on the exact right angle, shoots behind our lead blocker and right into A.J. Dillon. Here's the other reason I believe that this is true. If you watch Zach Tom on this play, it looks like he's trying to get to Tremaine Edmonds. He's sprinting it, which again, I'm so sick of these stupid designs as though Tremaine Edmonds is still going to be just standing there. I can understand if you got some kind of trickery going on, but he gets running down the field. Now he ends up blocking number four down the field, which now it makes you wonder why in the heck, if you can have your right tackle go all the way down there and get him, why didn't somebody account for Tremaine Edmonds? But again, I still can't imagine Josh Myers would make the most sense. Either way, I don't see any deficiencies with A.J. Dillon other than 
maybe if he was just blazing fast to the outside, he could have beaten Tremaine to that edge. Because remember, Tremaine had to shoot underneath our blockers, so around and behind. Biggest takeaway, though, I think this is just a great play by Tremaine Edmonds, and sometimes that just happens. Second play, A.J. Dillon, left end for minus five yards. Zero chance this is Dillon's fault. It's a pitch to the left. He gets hit the second he touches the ball. We're lucky it didn't get fumbled. This is very obviously a miscommunication by somebody, and I have to assume, I sh- well, I, I shouldn't say I, I know this, but it seems as though it would be Musgrave. We have Musgrave off the left side, and then I think Samori Ture as the wide receiver. And then there's just the right edge rusher who comes completely free and hits Dylan. Now, again, it's entirely possible that they're looking at this saying, I think he's just going to miss, right? He'll come. The, the plan is our quarterback has the ball. And the idea is the edge rusher is going to cr- come to the inside. He's going to attack the quarterback. Then when we pitch it to Dylan, Dylan will be to the outside of the edge rusher. But the edge rusher just runs straight into the backfield as though he, he saw the play coming. So it's possible that it's just a good play and he, he wasn't supposed to be blocked. And so once... Dylan got to the outside of this guy, he would have taken himself out of the play, the Bears' edge rusher, and then we would have had Musgrave and Samori Ture both down the field blocking, with Musgrave blocking up the linebackers, Ture going up blocking up the corners, and we got a big play. So it was either a big mistake by one of the two guys on the edge who should have at least touched the edge rusher, or again, just another great play by the Bears in which the scheme assumed things that didn't happen. If the plan, because we had two lead blockers again, if the plan is to have two lead blockers on this play, then this play design is just stupid. Because there's no way that the that the two lead blockers are going to be out in front and to be able to get this edge rusher. That's ridiculous. I I, I don't know. I, I I think that this is just a stupid play that should be scratched out of the book entirely. Is is kind of what I think. But did AJ Dillon have anything to do with this? Absolutely not. So he has negative eight yards. He did nothing wrong. He got hit both times almost immediately as soon as he touched the ball. That has nothing to do with AJ Dillon. Next play, AJ Dillon right guard for seven yards, tackled by TJ Edwards and set Jack Sanborn. And I think he was perfect on this play. The first thing that I would note on this play is that he had an opportunity to do what A.J. Dillon always does. He's got two blockers out in front of him. There is a path to the left of one of the blockers. Instead of running in between them, I could run. There's a little lane here that I could go through. He doesn't go through that lane. He waits. And he waits for Tucker Craft to get up and engage his guy. And then he runs between the two blockers, which is important because if he had taken the other lane, he would have been tackled immediately because it was a defensive tackle right there. And so he follows his blockers, and then he pushes a pile, which is what Dylan is supposed to do. He breaks arm tackles, he gets into a pile, and he pushes the pile. That is a perfect A.J. Dillon run for seven yards. Then, and there's obviously passes as well, he has a drop. That's just unacceptable. You cannot drop passes. It was not a bad pass. It hit him in the hands, and he just dropped it. Next play, A.J. Dillon, right guard, four yards, tackled by Jaquan Brisker. Bottom line, the offensive line failed, in particular David Bakhtiari. The guy that Bakhtiari's blocking just whoops him. Gets right in A.J. Dillon's face. Dillon has a great juke to the to the outside. Is able to get north and south and pick up four. Now, he gets taken down real easily by a safety who just grabs his leg and whips him. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, come on, man. We can get a 190-pound, five-foot-nine running back to go down with one hand grabbing your leg. That's the kind of stuff that it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but he seems really easy to bring down. And it's weird. It's, it's like he's such a tall runner. He doesn't have a low center of gravity at all. It's, it's just like he's just too tall. <laughs> he's only six foot, but you'd think he's 6'4", the way he runs. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, Aaron Jones generates just as much power at 5'9". It's like the, the ideal running back is a 5'9", is a 230-pound guy that runs a 4'4". Find that guy and just pound him. Because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, again, it was a great run. He should have been hit in the backfield because of... A.J. Dillon failing, or of uh, Bakhtiari failing to block a guy. 
and I don't think he gets too much farther anyways. I just, I just weird to me to see Dylan go down so easily. Next play, A.J. Dillon, we're in the third quarter now. From the Bears' seven-yard line, A.J. Dillon runs for five yards. I, I, I mean, A.J. Dillon, I think, in this game looks almost perfect, aside from the fact that the guy just can't stay on his feet. I mean, he really does remind me of Eddie Lacy in a lot of ways. You remember Eddie Lacy? He just seemed like a, he was so top-heavy. Like, he ran, and he had some power. He had some pop. He could smoke people. Remember when people would catch him down the field or whatever, and they just, like, throw a shoulder at him? And that guy would do, like, seven somersaults. He would just go flying. You could hit Eddie Lacy, and, and sometimes he would smash through a brick wall, and sometimes a feather would hit him, and he'd just do a backflip. A.J. Dillon looked perfect on this play. The timing was beautiful. He waited for the tight end to come in and lead block for him. He comes in, he makes a man miss in the middle of a pie. He follows his lead blocker, blocker perfectly and is, has basically a walk-in touchdown and barely clips Josiah DeGuara's ankle and goes flying on his face. He's, he's, he has no balance whatsoever. I mean, listen, running backs get hit all the time. Their feet get tripped up. Sometimes they grab their feet and they just keep going. I mean, there's, there's got to be an element of balance in here somewhere. He barely kicks Josiah DeGuara's foot and he falls on his face. This is a walk-in touchdown, dude. Walk-in touchdown. And, and, and the only reason it's a walk-in touchdown is because he did such a good job up to that point. Beautiful cut. Wait for your blocker. Follow your blocker. Make a man miss in the hole. Be- I mean, he's shifty. He's got the vision. Everything just seems there. The guy can't stay on his feet. I mean, I can't even see Dylan's leg move. It's weird. You would think that level of contact to take Dylan down on his face Deguara's feet would have been kicked out from under him. He didn't, he didn't even flinch. I can't even tell what he tripped on necessarily other than to know that Deguara was there. Next play, A.J. Dillon is given the ball again. Uh, he gains one yard. Almost I mean, it was from the two-yard line, he gained a yard. I don't know why this isn't a more positive play because everybody on the Packers' offensive line lost. He was hit behind the line of scrimmage and somehow went forward. That's where the power comes into play in a positive way. I mean, seriously, you've got an unblocked defender coming off the left side. Josh Myers just completely loses. By the, I'm, I'm, I have it freeze-framed right now. Dylan just touched the ball. There are two bears behind the Packers' offensive line already. When he takes one step forward, which is one, two, three yards, he's three yards behind the line of scrimmage right now. Dylan is at the five-yard line. There are two defenders in his face. There's another defender that is pushing right past John Runyon. And there's another unblocked defender, I believe it's Tremaine Edmonds, standing in, right behind the two defenders that are in his face, ready to make a play. He gains four yards from this spot. I went forward another frame. He gets low and is at the four-ish, three-ish yard line. The defender who was unblocked standing there, who I think was Tremaine Edmonds, is locked horns with him. I can't see him because Josh Myers is standing there bear-hugging from behind a defender, clearly holding the guy. That defender is on top of A.J. Dillon. So you got somebody locked horns with Dillon. You got a defender on his back and a bunch of just completely unblocked guys. Actually, it looks like it was brisker because I'm seeing the guy laid completely out. Bottom line is none of those defenders were able to do anything. He slips through all of them, falls forward, and pushes the ball right near the goal line. They said he was down just short. This is an unbelievably pathetic effort by the offensive line. It should have been a three-yard loss, and it ended up a one-yard gain. Yeah, he went head-to-head. I think it was Tremaine Edmonds, I think. They just went, like, smashed into each other, got low. He knocked Tremaine straight into the dirt and then kept going. That's, I mean, he's, he's got balance here. But man, you touch his feet, touch his ankles, he's going down. But I mean, th- this is what A.J. Dillon is for. It's unfortunate that we couldn't have had a better performance from the offensive line, but this is as good as you could possibly ask from A.J. Dillon. Then we bring in Aaron Jones, he dives in for a yard, and immediately it's, see, you put in Aaron Jones, you succeed. You put in A.J. Dillon and he fails. Well, circumstances are not exactly the same. 
I mean, you watch his end zone view, and essentially he's got a wide open hole to run through. There's one guy in his face, and Zach Tom comes up and just blasts him. And so he can just run in a straight line through a hole that you could run a freaking Mack truck through. Don't get me wrong, Aaron Jones is a better running back than A.J. Dillon. His vision, his balance, his power, everything is... I mean, he, he is an unbelievable running back. I'm not trying to compare the two. But I am saying it's, it's, it's giving an unfair perception of A.J. Dillon when you look at him getting hit three yards behind the line of scrimmage and gaining two yards and feeling like he failed because he only gained one yard on, on, you know, only needed two yards and he only got a yard of it. And then Aaron Jones gets the ball. The offensive line blocks a wide open hole he runs through for a touchdown. It does give the perception a certain way, but it's the it's 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 just not the right perception. And I don't know why it feels like Dylan is always put in inopportune situations. I don't know if it's when when Dylan is in the defense plays differently. I don't know if they put Dylan in in just certain situations that that are disadvantageous, or maybe the certain types of plays that they run. Maybe the offensive line can't block those plays as well. I I, I can't understand it other than to say either Jones just makes the offensive line looks look good by doing wizardry that I just can't see, which sometimes I can see. I mean, sometimes it's there and you're like, dude, nobody else is doing that. I get that. But make no mistake, those first two negative plays, I'm, I'm almost positive. Maybe Aaron Jones makes, the guy, makes Tremaine Edmonds miss on that first play. I don't know. I don't think so, but maybe. But that pitch, Jones is getting smoked, and he's going to lose five yards on that. All right, next uh, down, we got eight minutes left in the third quarter. First and 10 from the Chicago 42 after the big Jaden Reed return. A.J. Dillon, right tackle for minus two yards. Tackled by Tremaine Edmonds and T.J. Edwards. Now, I will say it's never a good sign when you have two people tackled him and we're talking about behind the line of scrimmage. Now, I will say I think there's maybe an opportunity for him to at least get back to the line of scrimmage, but he's trying to do the right thing. I mean, if he, he could have just abandoned the play and dove forward right out of the gate, but it was a mess from the start. Once again, Josh Myers completely fails, and there's a defender right in uh, A.J. Dillon's face immediately. So that's problem number one. Problem number two, fake Mercedes Lewis, number 89, gets pushed back. So our two lead blockers kind of have to make a big loop around to try to get where they're going because there's way too much penetration off that edge. So Elton Jenkins, who is the lead blocker, actually smashes into his own guy and has to try to go around him. Josiah DeGuara then has to come to a stop. He's our other lead blocker because he's waiting for Elton Jenkins to get around this, this mess. In the meantime, everybody else is able to catch up and get over there. When, when all this is getting slowed down, you've got linebackers and safeties that have all run to that side of the field. So now we have supposedly two lead blockers, and we've got one, two, three, four defenders for two, two blockers, basically. So Ben Sims just gets beat. So, so we've got the, the two lead blockers get around Ben Sims, who's blocking everything up. By the time A.J. Dillon gets there, number 95 gets past Ben Sims. So he's got one guy in his face. He gets past him. Now he's got another guy in his face. He tries to run around him, trying to get to his, his lead blockers, 81 and 74. He's had to juke twice already behind the line of scrimmage. Elton Jenkins successfully blocks a guy. Josiah DeGuara does not. He tries to get in between his two blockers because that's the whole point of this anyways. But here's the thing. <laughs> Even if those two blockers had won, there are four defenders waiting, just waiting there. If he's able to squeeze between them, which he isn't because Josiah DeGuara isn't able to block the guy. There's four, I mean, it's, it's, it's hilarious. There's four guys just standing there waiting to pounce. This thing was so dead from the beginning. And it really died because of two guys. Josh Myers was number one, but you could have survived that. Uh, ben Sims really messed up the other one because it messed up the timing. We can't beat everybody to the outside because everything's being slowed down because there's a traffic jam. And so the entire defense has rallied to this spot. And there was just hilarity where uh, A.J. Dillon goes down behind the line of scrimmage. 
And even if he doesn't, there's four guys just waiting there. And so Dylan tries to fight through the one tackle and, and hilarity ensues as literally four, maybe five Chicago Bears join in on a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. It's a freaking disaster. Now, if it, again, is there an opportunity? I, I think, considering I've been bashing him for not trusting his blockers, I can't really say, you know what, you should have just taken that open spot that's there and just maybe tried to see if you could fall forward to get back to the line of scrimmage. I can't fault him for trusting the structure of the play because that's what he needs to start doing. That's what he did. Next play, this is second and eight, A.J. Dillon right tackle for no gain. This is... And again, it's hard to tell exactly what the design is supposed to be, but but very simply with these plays, everybody should be accounted for. I'm looking at Zach Tom. To his right is Luke Musgrave, and to his right is Tucker Craft. There is a defensive end, the left defensive end, right? so we're running to the right. There's one guy that is a defensive end on that side, right? Zach Tom, Luke Musgrave, and Tucker Craft all block that guy. Here's what I think is supposed to happen. Zach Tom and Luke Musgrave are supposed to block that guy. Zach Tom seems to be coming off and trying to get up to the middle linebacker, right? That makes sense, which would leave Musgrave there to to block that end. There is no reason Tucker Craft should also be blocking that guy. Tucker Craft should be, he's to the right of that, he should be taking Tremaine Edmonds, who is number 49. Number 49 is unblocked. And so you have Elton Jenkins then coming across the formation, taking out number six, who I think is Brisker. And then you had uh, number 83 come across the formation and block one of the corners. So everybody is blocked except the guy that very obviously should have been Tucker Craft. If Tucker Craft was blocking him, then everybody's blocked up. The end was was perfectly blocked by Zach Tom and um, Luke Musgrave. Very well done. He's not going anywhere. Zach Tom's supposed to get to the next level, but he's about to fall down. So it doesn't look like that's about to work. But that's kind of far away. We don't need to worry about that. Elton Jenkins does a beautiful job blocking Brisker. He, he not only gets inside of his body, but he pushes him toward the sideline. So there is a clear path behind Elton Jenkins, which is where he's supposed to be. What happens, though, Musker, or, uh, excuse me, Tucker Craft should be blocking Tremaine Edmonds and trying to push him to the other sideline, creating a lane between the two to run. But Tremaine Edmonds is completely untouched and just gets right up inside of A.J. Dillon and just smokes him. Dillon lows, lowers his shoulder pad, but Tremaine just takes him out. And we can sit here and nitpick and be like, oh, you should be bigger. You should be stronger. You should. Come on, man. You got an untouched middle linebacker squaring up and just smoking your running back because your rookie tight end decided he needs to be a third blocker on one guy while the linebacker goes unblocked. Come on. That's silliness. This was a perfectly blocked play. Tucker Craft just decided he, he didn't want to block the guy he's supposed to block. He got confused. And I have no idea how you could be so confused as to think that you need to be a third blocker on somebody. That was for no gain if I didn't say that. Next play, um, first and 10 from the Green Bay 39. 54 seconds left in the third. A.J. Dillon left guard, two-yard run, tackled by Eddie Jackson, Andrew Billings. Once again, A.J. Dillon is met in the hole by a defender. Now, again, I don't know, but I have to assume this, this is David Bakhtiari. And the reason I say that is this is just a numbers game. To the left of David Bakhtiari is three players. You got two wide receivers and a tight end. There are four defenders to that side. And on the end, there is a double team with Elton Jenkins and David Bakhtiari. It would make sense to me, unless Elton Jenkins is supposed to get up and get inside of number 49, that David Bakhtiari would be the one to come off and block the safety number four so that you have four and four. Otherwise, somebody has to be unblocked. One way or another, somebody messed up because you cannot have a safety who's basically roaming in the box right where you're going to run go unblocked, because he's just going to run up into that gap and smoke your guy. 
There is one other thought that I had, though, and that is that he was actually supposed to run to the inside between Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers, where David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins block. Jenkins comes off and gets to the linebacker, and Dylan kind of squeezes in between, follows Elton Jenkins as he blocks upward. The issue is all three of our offensive linemen lose to those two defensive tackles. Either way, it's a failure of blocking, and there's absolutely nowhere to go. And he tries to shoot into the one gap that's there that's filled with the defender and just smash into him. So, there you go. Then we've got a screen pass to A.J. Dillon. This one could have been a freaking house call if anybody could block in the open space and nobody could. There's basically one defender that made, made a, a play. John Runyon could have blocked him. He kind of seemed like he wanted to. He's like, no, I'm going to go get this other guy. Josh Myers gets there, hits the guy. Looks like this is perfect. So he's going to hit that guy. John Runyon's going to, or excuse me, Elton Jenkins is going to go block up that guy. There's a lane. Now, somebody will probably catch him, but I mean, this is a big play. Somehow two of our offensive linemen miss one guy and that guy makes a tackle. It's just so stupid. Just a failure of blocking all the way around. Now, could he have done something creative? I I don't know what that could have been. So I'll say no, but I, I, I don't know. All right, now we've got fourth quarter, 10 minutes left, first and 10. Bears just punted. We're going to try to grind this thing out, so now we're going to get a handful of of A.J. Dillon here. Right out of the gate, I think everybody understands what's going on. we got A.J. Dillon in. we got a real tight package here. We're in 13 personnel, and the defense has just the complete loaded box. i got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. got eight guys in the box, maybe nine if you get this guy off the edge. I don't know exactly. He looks pretty wide, but whatever. Nine guys in the box. Once again, the, the offensive line is unable to execute. It, it appears to me what they're trying to... It's always hard to tell because essentially what always happens is you got a double team somewhere. And then one of these guys who's double teaming is going to try to get off. And then whoever comes off, that's essentially where you're trying to go. right? So it looks like Josh Myers has got Billings in the middle. And by the way, can I just say, as much as we talk trash about the Bears' defensive line, Billings is probably a top 10 run defender in the NFL. He's not a pass rusher. But they did acquire a premier run defender, and he had a great day against us. So that is worth noting. It's not this idea that, well, they just have the worst defensive line ever. Well, they, they got a guy that's that's kind of a game wrecker in that area. Anyways, Myers is blocking him, and then you've got Runyon and Tom double teaming. It appears to me that Runyon is trying to come off this block to get up to Tremaine Edmonds, which would indicate to me that he needs to run between our center and right tackle and follow Runyon to go up there. The problem is the double team fails so much, Mr. Smash uh, Trash Talking Jones pushes the double team all the way over so there's nowhere to go. He pushes it all the way over to Billings. There is no hole there. Even if he tries to follow Runyon, which maybe he should, maybe he could be able to just push through there, push Runyon into Tremaine Edmonds, and keep going and try to see if you can sneak up to the next level, but I don't think so. He does the next best thing, which is to find an open hole, which is what he does a lot that I don't generally like, but in this case, he doesn't have a choice. He slips through there. Of course, there's defenders right there because that's not where the play was designed to go. So there's nothing but defenders over there. And he's able to push forward for three yards. I don't know that there was a better option. The offensive line, once again, failed to block. There is a design. He's supposed to follow somebody, but that hole isn't there. That that Our offensive lineman wasn't even able to get up to the next level because he got pinned against the center. I mean, our guys just get out-muscled, man. They, they don't get out-techniqued. Our, our guys are technicians, but they're not brawlers. You try to, to, to pass rush against them, they do a good job. But man, you get into a situation where it's just, let's just get down and dirty and push. And and way too many times, our double teams are getting beat. Two guys should not lose to one, period. And then we got uh, the very next play, second and seven. A.J. Dillon gets hit in the backfield and somehow gains two yards. Again, you look at it and go, oh, it's a two-yard run. This guy sucks. He got hit in the backfield. So we are right now at the Green Bay 10-yard line. It's, it's actually not quite to the 10-yard line. Josh Myers got beat so bad 
that I believe it's Billings, I'm not positive, one of the defenders gets to A.J. Dillon at the six-yard line, has an arm wrapped around him, and then number 99 is also winning. He is at the uh, about the Green Bay eight-yard line. Remember, we started at the 10. He's being contacted at the six. There's an- another defender just two yards in front of him because John Runyon's getting beat, pushed back so bad. He fights through the first defender, has another defender in his face with a, with a guy kind of blocking but mostly just getting pushed back into him. He slips behind Runyon, so he's, he's broken one tackle. He's slipping another one. He is currently at the Green Bay seven-yard line. So this is still a three-yard loss. Elton Jenkins has now lost his guy. He's coming in screaming on him. So A.J. Dillon just runs forward as fast as he can, lowers his head, and there are four defenders that are there. Three of them end up actually tackling him. Well, just about four. Brisker comes in and lands on him. The whole point of this blocking scheme is that you, you put your body in a position. I mean, this I don't mean like our specific, I mean, blocking in general. You put your body in between you and the running, the, the defender and the running back. We have so many defenders that are face-to-face with our guy with no blocker in between. It's just, we have our guy, it's like a dartboard. A.J. Dillon's the bullseye, then that like white ring around the bullseye is all the defenders, and then there's a ring around those defenders, which are all our, our guys who lost their, their blocks. All around the outside, I see David Bakhtiari, I see uh, Josh Myers, I see Elton Jenkins, I see they're trying to push through the defenders to get to Dylan to pick him up. I mean, come on, guys. The other thing that sucks about this is so many times you'll see everybody, like David Bakhtiari's got his guy blocked out of this universe. Zach Tom's up to the next level. Like, stuff is working. Tucker Craft's got his guy. I mean, he. I mean, everybody loses after a while. The, the initial block is there, but you, you've got Runyon and Myers losing so badly that this whole thing is just a catastrophe. Then you got a screen pass to A.J. Dillon, which is a beautiful pass. It was a beautiful play for 12 yards. Great throw, great catch. And you've got, I mean, every reason to believe this is a massive play. When you look at this screen grab, you got two defenders way downfield. A.J. Dillon catches the pass at the nine-yard line. The earliest defender's at the 20. And he's he's got, you've got two corners. The closest is at the 20, and there's two wide receivers out there. You've got an offensive lineman blocking. Uh, in the middle of the field, so there should be nobody really coming. Nobody's close, and Andy has a lead blocker. Linebacker comes up from behind, grabs his ankle. Surprisingly, he doesn't go down, although it's close. And then he gets all the way to where the safety is, which is really all you're asking for, right? I mean, the, the run until you meet a safety. And he finds that safety, he lowers his helmet, and he knocks that guy into the next universe. I mean, the, 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 there is nothing wrong with this, really. I mean, you, you can nitpick or whatever, but this is it. This is what you want, to pick up 12 yards on a play like this. Everybody's blocked up. Run until you get to a safety, and then lower your shoulder and obliterate them. And that's exactly what happened. This is a fantastic play. Next play, you have a two-yard gain that gets negated by a penalty from Dontavian Wicks. But I'll tell you what, man, I, I it looks like it was a 10-yard gain, but the pitch was so far behind the offensive line. This is really a, you know, one of the things I'm going to say when this is all done is that the problem is, as much as I think he did a good job, I don't know that there's anything necessarily special. This one is relatively special. Um... He does have a really good head of steam. He jumps through a pile, lands on his feet, keeps going with a full head of steam, almost falls down, but maintains his balance and plows ahead. And actually, that's not a two-yard gain. That's a, that's a massive gain. I don't know why it says two-yard. I was going to say that looked a lot more than that. It was negated anyways. Maybe they're maybe what they're doing is they're accounting for the, the holding, so they're subtracting 10. I don't know. Let me do some math here. By the way, this is the Bakhtiari flipping the team off play. But Dylan got to about the 34, which is a 10-yard gain. Yeah, that's too bad that got negated. That was a be- I mean, beautiful by the offensive line. That whole play from David Bakhtiari is incredible. I don't know if you've seen it on social media. 
But Bakhtiari looks up, flips off the stand, gets into his stand, and then takes off like a freaking racehorse down the field. He, he leapfrogs somebody who's falling down so that he can get up to the next level and block the safety. Dylan doesn't quite get there, but he's ready, man. He's ready to take that guy out. And then he, then he like gives him a big bear hug. He was just fired up on that play. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. He like hugged him from behind for a second. It was kind of creepy, but kind of funny. And then the final play, fourth quarter, six minutes left. Third and 16, hand the ball off to A.J. Dillon. He gets three yards. How does that happen? Well, as you can expect, it's a little bit of a cluster. Elton Jenkins does a great job. Bakhtiari's up trying to get to the next level. And again, we got our two lead blockers. Right side of the line with uh, Myers and Tom doing a good job. The problem in this play is John Runyon. He literally is just laying on the ground. He's one of our lead blockers. His guy comes off and is able to make a play. It just, it is what it is. It was, it was a, again, a really nicely blocked play. One guy messes it up. It blows the whole thing up. He only gets three yards. So again, he, here is my overall thought. I actually like a lot of things about Dylan. I think at times you see the power. I think it's great that he also has a good amount of speed. I actually really like his elusiveness. And I think his vision looks better than it did last year in terms of going where I feel like he's supposed to go and then abandoning it when it needs to be abandoned. So I didn't, I didn't think it was terrible. The question for me, though, is what does A.J. Dillon bring that if, if somebody were to say, you know what, I don't want to pay him, let's bring somebody else in. What is the thing that Dillon has that nobody else does? Now, granted, he's been in the system. He knows the plays. Again, I really like some of the vision and the elusiveness. Some new guy might take him some time to get acclimated. I just don't know that there is that thing that you look at and go, man, that was special. There are times I'll watch Aaron Jones and just think 95% of running backs go down there. Maybe 99. I mean, he, he might be that one guy that just found something there. He is special, special. Dylan is just, he's just solid. I, I just think he's a, I, I really believe, even in this game, I don't care what his grade was. I thought he was a good running back, and I think for the most part, he did what he was supposed to do. But you can find a lot of guys that can come in and just do the job. I mean, Patrick Taylor came in. I think Patrick Taylor did the job. I, I don't know that... I'm watching Patrick Taylor and going, yeah, Dylan would have done way better. He's faster, he's stronger, but you don't always really see it. And, that, and that's a big problem. When, when Patrick Taylor comes in and you can't necessarily see a massive difference, that's when you really got to start to say, look, I like Dylan, and I know he has a high ceiling, but at this point, I don't know that he's anything more than, than a number two or just kind of a low-end number one. In other words, you got a guy, but you're kind of looking elsewhere for something special. I just don't know if he's ever going to be special. Even though a lot of this wasn't his fault, it's still just like, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just always kind of just doing the right thing. Great. He is the, the equivalent of like a game manager for a running back. But um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see as, as the season goes on. I, I honestly think a lot of this is encouraging. I think the blocking was, was massively the problem. And I think he did a lot of things that he maybe wouldn't have done last time. That, that play that got called back was really awesome. If he doesn't get tripped up by Josiah, which is upsetting that he couldn't keep his balance, he'd have run in for a touchdown on that play, and we might have had a slightly different opinion. You know, if the blocking was just better, we clearly would have had a better opinion. I, I would just like to see what A.J. Dillon can do when he has opportunities. But uh, again, he, he always just seems to, I guess, get the bare minimum. You know, and sometimes you look at it and go, well, I don't really know what he could have done different, but that's the thing about great running backs. They, they find that thing. Like, he ran to where it was blocked. And then once it wasn't blocked, the guy got there and they tackled him. I mean, you, you even see guys like, you know, DeAndre Swift making just incredible plays once in a while. It's just, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I do feel like this year we got to keep an eye on it. And just, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I don't really care about the results. I care about the process and what you're doing. But also just, I just want to see those things where it's like, dude, that's why he's special. That's what needs to happen. Anyways, we still got a good amount to cover. Let's take one more break. We'll be right back. 
All right, so finally, let's talk about some of these games and then end with the Green Bay Packers game. So I'll just tell you exactly what I do. For those of you that are interested, if you want to do what I do, um, I mean, you don't have to because I'll just tell you the answers. But here is how I decided over the last couple of years that I would um, determine what I think the scores are going to be in the game. Very simple process. What is DVOA? DVOA tells you how much better or worse a team is. DVOA tells you how much better or worse an offense or defense is. The simplest way I can think to encapsulate a score would be to look at, let's just make up some numbers. Let's say the Packers are averaging on the road 24 points per game. Okay. However, at home, the Falcons defense is 5% worse than your average defense. What would you do? You would add 5% to 24. That would give the Packers a score of 25.2. You would do the exact same thing to the Falcons and you have a score. Now, there's another way you can do this. You could look at the Packers' defense. Let's say the Packers' defense is giving up 20 points per game, but the Falcons' offense is 7 or 8% better at home than average. That would give the Falcons a score of 21.6 based on their offense versus our defense. So you just look at these two different scores. You kind of average. It's shocking how close sometimes these are similar. Sometimes it's the exact same score both ways and you just have yourself a score. But that's, that's essentially how I would do it. So I would look at this and I'd say, okay, uh, 21.6, let's call it 22 for the Falcons. And then the other one was what, 25 something, whatever to the Packers. So 22, 25 Packers, which is actually almost exactly how I had. I just made up those numbers. I actually do have it 23, 25 Green Bay. Here, here, here's the reason why you shouldn't waste your time doing this right now. This, this worked for me a lot last year toward the end of the season when I started doing it. We don't have a lot of data right now. Uh, there is a thing called Dave, which is uh, sort of DVOA based on um, a lot of preseason hype talk, whatever, plus how they ended last year. Maybe that's a better metric. I don't know. I looked at some of the stuff that they had, and I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, like wild swings. And and to be fair, Minnesota-Philadelphia, I had at 30-20. And up until that Minnesota touchdown, I was looking real good, 21-34. And it would have been way worse than that had I followed the Dave thing because they, they just, I forget exactly what it was, but something was just horrible. And I was like, I just, I just can't trust that. But that is the method that I'm using. I'm leaning toward last year for now until we start to get more information. Um, again, it was relatively successful for me. And I do think that we should probably lean more on what we saw last year as opposed to um, what we saw from one week slash we think there's going to be a massive change because they added a piece here or there. So anyways, let me run through my score predictions. If you saw me on uh, Matt Ramage, then you already saw all these scores. Again, I do have Green Bay winning 25-23. Now, there's a lot of variables here. Jordan Love is a different variable, but I don't really have any reason to believe he's better or worse than Aaron Rodgers was. Uh, there, there's nothing massive in that department in terms of, no, he's way worse or he's way better. I, I, would, I would say that that's more or less equal. And then Aaron Jones is somewhat of an issue. But we had injuries all throughout last year as well. We were missing Romeo Dobbs. We were missing Christian Watson. Uh, we, we missed guys here and there all the time. It just is what it is. For Atlanta, they have a new quarterback, but their quarterback last year really wasn't any good. I mean, you know, Ritter was their quarterback for a time. Mariota was also terrible. So I'm just going to leave it at that. The, the actual two scores that I had were uh, 25-23 and 24-23. So, you know, you could say 24-24 if you really wanted to. But I'm, I'm going to give the edge to Green Bay 25-23. Again, as far as the injuries, Watson may not play. Jones may not play. I'm leaning more toward Watson playing, uh, which I think is going to be fantastic. I really think that's going to be a big addition. I know 
it was kind of problematic, at least from my perspective, and maybe I'm going to be way off and they're going to be fine. It just didn't seem like they were quite on the same page. But remember, that doesn't necessarily matter. Christian Watson will always be a massive weapon on every play simply by stretching out the defense and helping to work underneath for Romeo Dobbs, Luke Musgrave, etc., etc. And then you add on top of that Watson's abilities, whether that's hitting him on screens, behind the line of scrimmage, on slants, and seeing what he can do yards after the catch, or trying to take those big shots and hoping you can connect. But that's all, I don't want to say secondary, but that's in addition to him massively helping the team just with his speed, if assuming he plays. Um, and then for the Falcons, Kaderil Hodge out, uh, or questionable with an ankle injury, and then Penny Hart, Felipe Franks, Avery Williams all out. None of that is massive news. Don't need to worry about weather because it's indoors, retractable roof that is, I believe, going to be closed. But bottom line is, if you were asking me, I would be betting on the Packers. I would also, much more comfortable betting the over also. So if I was actually betting, which I'm not, and I certainly wouldn't expect you to take my advice, by the way, I'm just, I'm just explaining how I feel about this stuff. I probably wouldn't actually bet the Packers because it's really close. However, 40 and a half, when I have it set at 48, I would absolutely go over on this game. If, I, if you were to ask me my thoughts on this in terms of why there's such a big difference between the, the market being at 40 and a half and me being at 48, it really comes down to, I think, the consensus being these are two bad quarterbacks. I think there's a lot of skepticism about the Packers' offense, especially with Aaron Jones perceived to be out and Christian Watson potentially being out. I think there's still a lot of questions about Jordan Love being a competent quarterback. I think the there's there's undervalue of Jordan Love. I think there's overvalue of the Falcons' defense, which has been terrible for a long time, was quite bad last year, but showed out week one against a terrible team and a terrible quarterback. And I think they know that Desmond Ritter is not really the answer, and there's probably a little bit of extra hype on the on the Green Bay. So there's overvalue on the two defenses, undervalue on Jordan Love. And so I, I tend to think that's what's setting it at 40. I would absolutely bet the over. I'm, and, and I'm just saying. Uh, Las Vegas and Buffalo. I have Buffalo stomping them out 30-20. to 20. Uh, There are a handful of injuries for both teams. I don't necessarily think any of them are massive uh, Jacoby Myers, Austin Walter, Britton Brown for the Raiders. The Bills, uh, Justin Shorter, Zach Davidson, Naheem Hines. Maybe Hines, but I don't think that's massive. And Matt Barkley, the, the backup quarterback. If he ends up needing to be played, then then just forget it. I'm way off. But, I, you know, I'm, again, this is all just based on math. But the two scores for Las Vegas were 19.7 and 19.9. So, again, shocking how similar they can be at times. Because one of those scores is, again, looking at what Buffalo's defense usually does and then comparing that against how good or bad Las Vegas's offense is. The other one is looking at Las Vegas's offense against Buffalo's defense. There's no real reason they should be the exact number. They're two unrelated sets of information, but very often they come together. For Buffalo, it was 29.5 and 30.7. So 20 to 30 in almost exactly both scores, with 50 being the total. So if you're worried about Buffalo maybe coming off to a bad start or just not being able to do it, I understand. But I don't think too many people are worried about that. I think Buffalo got embarrassed week one. I told, And by the way, what did I tell you about Buffalo week one? They're god-awful. Aside from the Packers, they are like the worst week one team in football. I told you that. They come out week one against one of the better defenses in football, and they laid an egg. This is, ba- this is common information. Now it's week two, though. So Buffalo is at minus nine and a half. That's almost exactly as I have it. So again, I would not touch that because I have it at, I mean, technically I would take Buffalo, but it's, it's don't do that. And actually I'm wrong. It opened at nine and a half. It's moved to eight and a half. So it's becoming an actually eight in some places that makes it a little bit more tempting on Buffalo. 
and then they have it at 47 as the over. I wouldn't necessarily want to touch that either. It's close. I would technically be over, but I eh. Baltimore Cincinnati. This one is this one is probably bothering me the most. Um and I think if I had I, I had to hurry and do it because Matt Ramage was like, hey, we gotta do our show. And I was like, crap. So I threw everything together. I I, I what I should have done is gone back and look at Baltimore with Lamar Jackson because I looked at it for the full season and he wasn't there the full season. My brain tells me Cincinnati's gonna stomp out Baltimore because I just think Cincinnati's a a perennial Super Bowl contender, and Baltimore's kinda there, but not quite. But Baltimore's defense is legit, and Baltimore with Lamar is legit. I have it twenty to twenty-two. The two scores that I came up with were 19 to 24 and 21 to 21. Actually, literally 21.1 to 21.1 were the two different scores. And that's with the full season rather than looking specifically at Lamar. So I could absolutely see Baltimore winning this game. Like just by strict letter of the law of let's not look at any more context, let's just stick to the math. Cincinnati. Cincinnati is three and a half point favorites. I would almost be very comfortable to bet Baltimore because even with things being off, I have it just at, at, at two points for, for Cincinnati. And I, 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 I tend to think Baltimore could absolutely win this game. Then they got the, uh, the over-under set at 46.5. I got it at 50, so again, I'm a little bit over, but eh. If anything, I'd be leaning toward Baltimore, even though that seems stupid based on what I have here. I have a feeling if I go back and just look at the DVOA when Lamar was in there, it's going to be way higher, and I, I think Baltimore would probably come out ahead. So that's one where I just I would I would borderline just go completely against what I have here and say Baltimore could win the game. At the very least, you can find, for example, uh they have Cincinnati at minus three and a half at some places. I would I would go Baltimore on that. Seattle, Detroit. Unfortunately, I do have Detroit winning the two different scores, 26-27 and basically 26-27, 26-28. I rounded up for Detroit to try to get a little bit more of a space in there, and I have it twenty-six to twenty-eight. But 26-27 is also, like, right there. They have Detroit as four-and-a-half-point favorites. I do think Detroit's going to win. I would lean a little bit more towards Seattle on that, but probably not worth touching it. Uh, I have it. the line set at 54. They have it at 47-and-a-half. I would absolutely go over on that. That would be an easy one for me. And again, as far as injuries, I don't see anything massive here. Emmanuel Mosley, Jamison Williams still suspended, Shane Zilstra, Nate Sudfeld, Hendon Hooker all out for Detroit. Indianapolis Colts and the uh, Houston Texans, which actually I think would be kind of a fun game to watch just because of the two rookies. I saw somebody say something to the effect of, um, it looks like C.J. Stroud is going to play. He's got a shoulder injury. He's questionable for the game. Obviously, that makes a pretty big difference. Uh, John Mechie also hamstring injury questionable. Noah Brown, Jesse Matthews out. Jonathan Taylor is still out for the Indianapolis Colts. That's obviously a pretty big uh, situation. Tight end Jelani Woods is out. Also, um... I'm just seeing this now. We're not talking about him yet, but I just saw this from Field Yates. Bears guard Nate Davis has been added to the game status report as doubtful to play against the Bucks tomorrow due to personal reasons. There's something bad going on with that guy. I need to stop talking about him. I don't know exactly what his, his situation is, but it's it's pretty bad. And I, I actually saw Bears fans kind of talking about this at one point, because remember, he hasn't been with the team basically all year. He did not play. And then he shows up for one game. He gets freaking destroyed by the Green Bay Packers and now he's not playing and it's for personal reasons um when he did show up though there was there was a time when he finally showed up he was at practice I don't think he did practice and some of the Bears fans were saying the coach went over and talked to him and it looked as though there was like something serious going on like he was comforting and consoling him no I didn't read too much into that because I know how fans like to do that they like to read into everything I just thought whatever but it does sound like something's going on 
So I know we just kind of poke fun about he doesn't even want to be there. Bears suck, all that stuff. But I, I'm, I'm, I guess you could say I'm concerned. There's some serious stuff going on in his life, whether it's personal or family or some kind of tragedy or whatever the case may be. So um, hoping everything is okay with Nate Davis. It's fun to make fun of the Bears, but I feel like we're kind of crossing a not great line here and so i'm just going to stay away from it but that is relatively significant for the bears although nate davis didn't play very well um if there's anything worse than their offensive line is their offensive line depth so that is a pretty big hit for the bears anyways back to indy houston which is as far as my method is almost as useless as any game because we've got two brand new quarterbacks especially the style of quarterbacks with anthony richardson and everything else but i'm gonna we're gonna play along anyways i do have this 1917 in favor of indy Obviously, if the quarterback can't go, that's that's a significant thing in and of itself. However, the the quality of play, uh, the 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 gap between backups and the level of play that C.J. Stroud seems to be at at this point in his career probably is not that drastic. I don't know who their backup is, but just saying. Anyways, uh, I do have Indy win in the game, nineteen seventeen. As I said, that's a total of thirty six. Houston right now is sitting at minus one. I mean, technically, I would put that still in Indy's favor, but that's that's untouchable. And then they have it at 39 and a half. I have it at 36. That's pretty, pretty close. I mean, again, technically I'm under, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that game just for every reason in the world. There's no reason to touch that game. Now, when it opened at, you know, Indy plus one and a half, you could probably grab that. Anyways, uh, Kansas City and Jacksonville, not massively surprising. I do have Kansas City ahead. Uh, Definitely a game to keep an eye on. Kansas City got off to a slow start for obvious reasons, but also Jacksonville seems to be an ascending team. So it, it could potentially be, I mean, really the storyline is Jacksonville trying to assert itself as the new kings of the AFC. Are they there yet? I don't know. Probably not. But anyways, all that aside, based on the information I have, Kansas City 29-23, putting the total at 52. Uh, looks like the line opened at minus two and a half right now. It did move in Kansas City's favor to minus three and a half. You can find it at minus three. I would still lean relatively heavily toward Kansas City, although, of course, I'd be nervous because, you know, things change. Um, But, I mean, they're supposed to be relatively healthy. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is questionable, but I couldn't care less. Uh, Jacksonville also relatively um, healthy. It is in Jacksonville, which I didn't account for. Again, generally, I go home and away. I didn't do that this time around, so maybe that makes a big difference. But again, I would have, I would lean Kansas City pretty heavily on that. And then the line being at 51 and a half is almost exactly where I have it at 52, so I wouldn't touch that. Chicago-Tampa Bay, I have it 24 to 19 in favor of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is prior to the news about their uh, offensive guard. It actually opened at Chicago minus one and a half. That would have been the time to bet Tampa Bay. It is now Tampa Bay minus two and a half. I'm still, I still have it in favor of Tampa. I have them five-point favorites. Um, and then they have the line at 41. I've got it at 43, so that's pretty close, too. I would technically be over, but probably shouldn't mess with that. Key injuries, uh, not ton, aside from their right guard apparently not playing. Uh, Tampa Bay, Russell Gage, wide receiver is out with a knee injury. Nothing that would massively move the needle, in my opinion. I just look forward to uh, look forward to that game. It's unfortunate it's on at noon. I'd love to be able to watch it. Chargers-Tennessee, another close game. i got Chargers by 2, 22-20, total 42. Very close to where uh, Vegas has it. Maybe look to the under, but otherwise that seems pretty pretty dead nuts. Also one of the more boring games that I can't imagine being forced to watch. Speaking of, Giants-Arizona. Not massively surprisingly, I do have the Giants winning, but maybe not by as much as you would expect. 21-25 Giants, 46 total. They have the Giants minus, uh, 
minus four to four and a half. That's exactly what I have at four point favorites. However, they have the total at 39 and a half and I have it at 46. So I am way over on that one. San Francisco, LA. I've got San Francisco beating the ever-loving daylights out of the Rams 26 to 15. San Francisco opened at minus six. It has now moved up to seven and a half. I have them as 11 point favorites. So, I mean, I, I never like you know, when the, when the line is that heavy to go over it, because it just seems so relatively unlikely, but technically I am over that. And then they have it at 45. I have the game at 41, so that's pretty close. Jets-Dallas. I have the Dallas Cowboys going to 2-0 at 22-16 to against the New York Jets. Obviously, the big news with the Jets, their quarterback is out for the season. That's a massive blow, not surprisingly. Um, honestly, both of them, according to last year, both of them via DVOA, if I'm not reading this wrong, I didn't really label it, but I think I know what I'm looking at. Um, Dallas's defense is a lot more impressive than people would expect. So that's almost a wash. Then you factor in the Jets having a negative 13.2 offense compared to Dallas's 3.6. So just slightly above average, but still way better offense and somewhat comparable defenses. So 22-16 Dallas, uh, the line opened at minus three. It is now at minus nine. So Vegas is even more <laughs> disgusted by the Jets than I am. I have them at six-point favorites. Again, Vegas has them at nine, so I would I would probably lean Jets a little bit. And they have the line, uh, the total at 38.5. I have it right at 38. So in general, I probably just wouldn't touch that game. Washington and Denver. Got Denver losing to Washington 18-17. Frickin' barn burner. Vegas has uh, Denver ahead three and a half, so uh, that's a pretty easy one for me to bet Washington. Again, you got to make a decision on how you feel about Denver. We know they were bad last year. If they've improved and I'm using last year's data, that would be the reason. But uh, yeah, I would be slightly over and I would be betting Washington in that. Miami, New England. Uh, Devontae Parker is questionable. That could be somewhat significant if he can't play. But I got uh, Miami by just a point. Vegas has got Miami at minus three. Definitely lean New England a little bit in that game. Then we got two Monday night games, New Orleans, Carolina. Again, very, very close game. I actually have New Orleans just winning by one. If it was just off the top of my head, I would have thought New Orleans would be way clear favorite. But even Vegas has it just at minus three, and it opened at minus 1.5. They got the total at 40. I've got it at 39. So technically, I'm leaning Carolina, but I, I would be terrified to, to bet that. And finally, Cleveland-Pittsburgh. Again, one point. I've got Cleveland by one. They have Cleveland uh, minus two and a half. Total at 38. I got it at 41. So in terms of um, pragmatics, first thing to think about, worst case scenario this week, the Green Bay Packers are in second place. Because if you think about it, what's the worst case? My uh, Minnesota already lost. They're 0-2. If Detroit wins, they're 2-0. And then if the Bears win and the Packers lose then we would both be one and one, but the Packers would be ahead of the Bears because they beat the Bears. So worst case scenario, we're still in second place. With that said, though, again, obviously it's possible the Packers win, which is basically a pick, but Chicago is expected to lose this game. And Detroit, although I expect them to be better than they were last week, did not look very good. And Seattle certainly has the firepower, unlike Kansas City last week, to put up some points. And if Detroit can't match that, I mean, it's not out of the question that we have a 2-0 Green Bay Packers leading the NFC North. We cannot do worse than second. So we are either going to be in first place or second place at the conclusion of this week. So anyways, that's all I got. Let's see if the Packers can win in a different way. I mean, again, Aaron Jones can play, but that's going to be the question. Listen, what we need today is growth. 
A win is great. A win is important. In the NFL, losses are can be somewhat devastating. But what we need to see is growth. Like I've said, the Minnesota Vikings are 0-2. I think that they're actually going to be pretty good. I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Vikings fan, aside from the fact that, again, it, you do have to climb out of a little bit of a hole. And that's, that's what's slightly different. Don't get me wrong, I'm going to be a basket caser in this game, wanting to win. But the reality is when, when, when in the past we had Aaron Rodgers, it really just was all about winning, right? It's, there, there aren't any questions. We know what we have. We know what we don't have. And we know that we need this group of people to come together and be better. We're kind of in a different spot now. We don't know what we have. And winning with our pieces looking not great would be the second best thing compared to, or the third best thing compared to honestly losing but taking some big steps. If Jordan Love looks amazing and Watson looks good and, you know, things just didn't super pan out, the, the Falcons were just the better team, that's something to be excited about. So hopefully we don't have to sit here and debate that because that won't be the situation and we're going to win the game. But we really do need to see some growth in certain areas. We need to see guys uh, continuing. I mean, you know, Dobbs and, and Jordan look great. They're on the same page. We got to see some of the guys further down the roster do that. We got to see Christian Watson, his impact on this field. We got to see A.J. Dillon take some bigger strides. We got to see the offensive line do better, especially on the interior. We got to see the run blocking across the entire offensive line step it up. And if we're moving in that direction, that's a good thing. So anyways, have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.